0: On she is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so wide awake. Captured in the moment by the beauty all around her. There's nowhere else that she would rather be.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Karen Modokitis and you're listening to How She Really Does It. Where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT FM. I believe there are many ways to live life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, even you. Not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, Now maybe you can see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. Welcome to How She Really Does It, a place where inspiration and possibility meet. John Corcoran is an attorney and business advisor in the San Francisco Bay Area. He has also worked in Hollywood and as a writer in the West House for President Bill Clinton, and as a speechwriter to the governor of California. He is also the creator of the Smart Business Revolution, where he writes about entrepreneurship, interviews, successful entrepreneurs, and shares his own experience with entrepreneurship. John's here today to discuss the mistakes to avoid for entrepreneurs. John, hello, and welcome to my show.
0: Hey, Corinne. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm really excited to have you. You've had not, We could spend the whole hour just on your journey, and that may be for another interview. But today, I really want to focus on mistakes that you've seen, whether you've gone through yourself as, an, as a solopreneur or with the clients that you have, the mistakes that entrepreneurs make and how we can avoid them, um, whether we're starting up or in the middle of our business. And so I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say for my listeners today.
0: Well, great. I've made lots of mistakes. I <laughs> went to work for myself about a year and a half ago, so I'm still in the midst of that journey. And, um, you know, usually people don't call up a lawyer unless they have some kind of mistake. So um, I think I should have lots of great anecdotes to, uh, to share with everyone.
1: Um, so what's the first, what do you think is the first thing that's important? I guess we would talk about setup, wouldn't it be of setting up the business and the business systems that we have?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to think about um, what you do to set up your business on in terms of a scale because mm-hmm. there's everything from a, like a completely bootstrapped business all the way up to like Donald Trump starting a new business. And they don't do the same things mm-hmm. at all. You know, if you're bootstrapping a business, um, you're going to do a lot of different. You make a lot of different choices. Because you don't have the. You simply don't have the resources uh, to protect yourself legally, or to even maybe put insurance in place, or or uh, get the advice and training that you might need. You're just kind of out there trying to make something stick. Versus if Donald Trump is starting a new business, you know he's going to have a team of lawyers and accountants and insurance professionals and everything who button it up and make sure that everything's completely buttoned up tr- uh, tight. But there's this long scale in between, and so I think you have to ask yourself, based on your own personal uh, resources and your gut, uh, what you, what kind of risk tolerance you can take, what kind of effort you want to put into setting up the business from the beginning. Because you know, if if everyone had to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to set up a new corporation or in order to just test out a new business concept, no one would start a business because there's a lot of bootstrapped companies that get started without having to set up all those things. And I, I really think that that's why the legal profession has changed so dramatically over the last couple of years and it's really fueled the growth of a lot of these online websites that help people to start businesses um, you know, on a, very inexpensively and we can kind of get into talking about that. Um, but I, I think that from, this, from the get-go, you need to first look inwardly at yourself and decide why you're starting this business, what your goals are, have clear goals and objectives, and make sure that the type of business that you're starting um, is geared towards those goals and objectives. Because otherwise, you might find that you're, you're in the midst of it and you're, you didn't create the kind of business that you wanted to create. You created just another job for yourself. And there's no point in being an entrepreneur if that's the case.
1: Well, let's, so let's talk, take these concepts, if you don't mind, into how you did it, right? Because here you were, you were, you worked in the White House for Bill Clinton. Um, you worked in the California for the governor. And then you went off to Hollywood. And then you became a lawyer. Why did you become a lawyer?
0: Yeah, it's kind of typical progression, you know. <laughs> typical story, uh Work in Hollywood, work in politics, uh, go to law school, and then become a lawyer. Um, well, for me, it it was. Um, I worked in politics. I was very fortunate to be able to work in the White House speechwriting office as an intern in the, um, during the Clinton administration. Then I came back and was a writer in presidential letters and messages for a couple of years near the end of the administration. And then I was a speechwriter to the governor of California. For uh, for those of you who aren't from California, I worked for the guy who got recalled by Arnold Schwarzenegger. His name was Gray Davis, uh, and um, um, so I think that um, it's not a typical uh, route to go through these different things, and and the reason I became a lawyer is because I, I worked with other people who had law degrees, and I saw that it was a great skill to have, and I thought, you know, um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where my career is going at this point. Um, I'd love to go get a law degree and see what it does for me, and I'm glad that I did it, and, and now the really cool thing, it, it took a little while to get to this point. But uh, since I started my own firm, now I get to work with some really cool individuals who have started some interesting uh, businesses. And I love working with people who are um, really growth-oriented and want to build their business. Anywhere from, you know, it's just them uh, to maybe they've already got 10 or or 15 employees working for them and still are very growth-oriented. And so it's a lot of fun because you get a seat at the table, you get to be um you get to be there when they're um revealing the mistakes that they've made and you get to diagnose those mistakes you see what worked what didn't work um and you get to help them solve the things that didn't work
1: so so with the entrepreneurs that you work with are these are you seeing more solopreneurs or um that are needing legal advice nowadays versus maybe before
0: yeah well uh, it is Frequently solopreneurs, because as uh, a lot of people who work um, for themselves know, you often have limited resources and mm-hmm. you probably did start your uh, limited liability company or, or mm-hmm. corporate on your own. You might have um, um, done it through filing the documents yourself or through some kind of online legal service. And so oftentimes uh, that might lead to problems down along the way, or maybe you. Wrote your own contract, and it led to a dispute with a, a client, or with a vendor, or a customer, or something like that. Or maybe you didn't. You know, well, the, the biggest problem is when people don't put things in writing. When they just have some kind of oral agreement, and you know, one side thought one thing, the other one thought something else, and so there's just kind of a disagreement about what they agreed to. That's very common. So yeah, there are a lot of solopreneurs, but you know, it happens to pretty large businesses as well. You know, you'd be surprised how large uh, businesses can grow and they've got um maybe an attorney on staff and uh they go and and mi- make mistakes anyways unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> it's just society and so um there are you know there there can be problems that that happen legal issues that come up even with larger companies
1: okay and so with having this law degree it was a, it was developing a skill set and I love how you you know you bring that point in and then um, why did you choose working with entrepreneurs?
0: Well, I spent a couple of years doing mostly litigation, and uh, litigation is people fighting people mm-hmm. using them. and um, it can be kind of depressing on to be honest uh, you know it it um sometimes it can be rewarding, but most of the time people who get involved in litigation um, both sides end up. Unhappy at the end, no one really wins anything. It often gets resolved out of court. Something like ninety-eight percent of all lawsuits are filed uh, that are filed are resolved out of court, and so no one really ends up happy. With what they went through um, with a settlement or or whatnot, and they had to spend a lot of money on legal fees. And so it's it's difficult being in that place. And I still do some litigation for some of my clients. Um, I decided a couple of years ago that I really liked working with entrepreneurs because it was so much more creative. It was so much more uh, building up of something rather than tearing it down. And so, um, you know, I really started targeting that and 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 working to uh, adopt more entrepreneurial clients, small business clients. Um, and I really do like the small business segment because they tend to be um, very growth oriented and working on building something. And they and they really value having someone who gives them good advice uh and and so that's really rewarding as well
1: okay so you looked at your why and then you um know that know the people that you like to work with and the skill sets that you can help them with um and so When is it important to set set up a separate legal entity versus being, you know, instead of just being a sole proprietor, being a limited liability corporation or an S corp and all of those different things that start to make people go roll their eyes and want to go to sleep?
0: And uh, keep it more interesting by not getting into too many of the details of that. But you you asked when Um, I'd say if you have the resources, then do it immediately Um, and try and do it the right way from the beginning, because it'll save you a ton of time. Um, and it doesn't have to be that expensive you know a lot of attorneys will set up uh, like an LLC or something for a flat rate and so you can do that uh, and you just have to budget it into the cost of starting a new business um, but doing it from the beginning the right way will definitely make a big difference especially if you have got a partner um, if you're partnering with someone you want to make sure that you have got a, a separate legal entity set up in an operating agreement that is like the Constitution between the two of you it defines the rules of the road so that there's a clear understanding be- between the two of you um, but having said that you know if you don't have the resources to, to do that or if you're starting a little signed business a little consulting and maybe if you don't have that many resources so there's not that much risk for you to lose something maybe you don't own a house yet um, then you know really what's the the risk to starting something as a sole proprietor and and then seeing if it takes off and if it does take off you start some kind of um Uh, legal entity after that and that's kind of heresy for me to say that as a lawyer to say that maybe you start something without getting the you know the the Cadillac version of of starting a a a legal entity but I think that's just the reality I think that is uh, where we are as a society that people start businesses on a bootstrap a lot of time they see if it works and then if it does work um, then they go and set something up and I often I say to my clients you know you can you can go online and start a, a legal entity yourself, and then once you have some revenue coming in, then go back and make sure you do it correctly. So go back and, and talk to a lawyer and make sure that everything's set up correctly once you have some revenue coming in.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, people a lot of times get ideas, right? But maybe there's lack of follow through, or maybe this great big idea that they had didn't really work out for them necessarily. And so it may change. I mean, I see that all the time when with people who have an LLC and, and then like three name changes down the road, they finally have figured out what their business is and what their business model. Don't you see that happening as a lawyer as well?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, one of the cool things about an LLC is if you're definitely the entrepreneurial creative type, um, you could set up an LLC and it's a very flexible document. It's a very flexible entity. And so you could start one business that's, let's say, a little cafe or something like that. If that doesn't work out, you could start another business, and you could use the same LLC, and you could follow what's called a fictitious business statement, a, a DBA, as it's known, uh, use a different name, and using the same LLC, so that can save you some money. Um, but you do see that frequently. I mean, people start something and it doesn't go anywhere, and so they kind of give up on it. And um, so, you know, the, the, the correct answer, <laughs> the best answer is... To set something up, have a separate legal entity, set up a separate business account that's titled in that separate legal entity, not your own personal checking account that you're using. That's the correct way to do it. But, you know, some people, I recognize, start things without doing everything absolutely top of the line, and that's just a a fact of life.
1: Okay, so before we go to the bank, I want to go back to it's important to do the separate legal entity to protect yourself and especially if you have a family and home and your assets. So if something does happen within the business, your family can survive that.
0: Well, correct. Um, <laughs> so you mean in terms of surviving and having business survive as well? or just-
1: Well, so – I mean, and I'm not a lawyer, so my understanding is with having a separate legal entity is that it just, it's a way to protect maybe your family's assets, your home, so that if somebody comes up against you, it's more about going after the business instead of maybe necessarily yourself. It creates at least a barrier. Maybe right. not, not you know, it's not, not saying that they can't come after you personally, but it creates at least a barrier or a speed bump.
0: Right. And it's not a perfect barrier because there are still ways that you can get sued, mm-hmm. and Say frequently to my clients that you know just like you can get hit by a bus walking down the street any day, anyone can get sued at any time, and whether it's meritorious or not, it does happen. And so it's, there's no way to perfectly insulate yourself from being sued, um, but there are there are things that you can do, like setting up a separate legal entity, that will help. Mm-hmm. The thing that people should think about is honestly getting good insurance. So oftentimes people call me up and they say, "Oh, I want to set up a corporation." I asked them some questions. It turns out, you know, you really just need some good insurance in place to protect you from, you know, someone slipping and falling on your property and, and then suing you for that. Good insurance in place would help protect you, really preserve your, your resources.
1: Okay. And then now going to the separate bank account. I mean, I understand why some people, especially if you're bootstrapping it, may not pursue the legal aspect, right? But a separate bank account, I mean, John, you, there's so many free bank accounts, it's, it's an easy step to do
0: yeah right but you know there are a lot of people who you know that maybe they don't they don't realize that it it makes a a legal it's legally significant to have a separate bank account that's titled in a separate business entity that shows that separation so a lot of times what this is what happens really frequently is that someone will call me up and say i've been operating this business for two or three years and um, oh, I set it up using some online, you know, service a couple of years ago. Um, and I'll you, know, you know, start asking them some questions. It turns out that they sure they set it up, uh, and the paperwork is filed and everything. Um, but then they continued using their personal checking account for all incoming checks, depositing them directly in there, writing checks off of that account, um, basically operating the business out of their person as out of their person. Rather than out of this separate legal entity, um, and so it is. It, you know, I say that it's you know just just forming a separate legal entity doesn't wave a magic wand that mm-hmm. gives you all kinds of insulation and protects you from ever being sued and from ever losing any of your resources. You have to actually respect that separate legal entity and treat it as such. And so, a lot of people don't. That a lot of people miss that second step. It's probably buried in the paperwork that they got when they, you know, signed up for this legal entity. They probably got emailed a bunch of different documents that they didn't read, um, so somewhere in there it said it, but they just kind of missed that step. So that's that's a really common problem that I find with people.
1: So it sounds like it's a really common problem and it's an it's a very low cost solution that they open up a separate checking account for their business and keep that checking account as just strictly for their business. Don't go buy groceries with that money.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, the ideal solution would be to have a separate legal entity and then have that bank account titled that separate. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least the minimum you can do is at least have a separate bank account. And it also helps from an accounting standpoint as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a tax professional, but it's best to have all of your business expenses going in and out of it, a separate account just for accounting purposes. It's a lot simpler that way.
1: Okay. Um, any other mistakes that you see for setting up the business that you see with entrepreneurs?
0: So another one that I commonly see, especially if someone set up a business using some kind of like online service, is if they have a partner. Um, you have something that's called an operating agreement. Uh, if you've got an LLC, um, that is, is as I mentioned, kind of the constitution to you. It defines the rules of the road. It determines um who owns what share of the business, uh, who invests what's money, uh, what amounts of money and um, what their rights and responsibilities are and oftentimes these things are just kind of like a cookie cutter template and then disputes happen later and there's nothing really in the operating agreement that helps to resolve that dispute and it can save money on the back end if there is a dispute um, or if one of the partners needs to leave the business for one reason or another or if... um, the remaining partners really don't like a third partner. He's not pulling his weight, so they want to get rid of that person. You can refer back to this document, and oftentimes it'll define exactly how you resolve that uh, situation. But if you've got some kind of like cookie cutter template, then it's chances are it's just going to be written very vaguely, very broadly, and so it doesn't address those things. So, like I said earlier, you know, once you've got some resources then it's best to go back and address that and make sure that you've got some good language in there that is tailored to your specific situation. Um, I'll mention one other just real quickly. Using written documents in general um, is is really undervalued, I think. A lot of times people just kind of, especially if they're an entrepreneurial personality, they just kind of think, well, I'm just going to fly by and, and see how things go. Um, but especially if you're dealing with large sums of money and talking tens and twenties of thousands of dollars, make sure to get things in writing. Use proper contracts and, um, you make sure to read over things before you sign them. That's, that's a, a key, uh, point because oftentimes you know, I have a client who comes to me and says, I had this agreement with this person. I lent them $50,000. Well, where's the written agreement? Well, unfortunately we didn't have one. Well, it's, it's best to have a written agreement whenever you're dealing with large sums of money.
1: And it, it makes me think about um, back in the 90s, I think Susie Orman had talked about prenups for couples. And she said her, her reasoning to have a prenup before you get married is that when you love each other, you just want the best for each other right and at the end when you're getting a divorce there there may be so much baggage or so much animosity that sometimes you you know you'll be vindictive or think that you're owed a certain thing and so that makes the divorce a lot more tenuous and it sounds like with this situation with the Opera, having an operating agreement is that you're coming together and you're trying to build something and there aren't at that point hurt feelings or um, you know, uh jealousies or whatever can happen in the mindset that can be really destructive where people then go into battle. I mean, what do you think about that?
0: Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's it's kind of a prenup for your business. And um, you know, it's kind of like the um Robert Frost poem, the line from the Robert Frost poem, good fences make good neighbors. You know, when we define the boundaries of our relationships going into business, it makes for a better relationship between each of us because there isn't, there aren't assumptions, uh, there aren't misunderstandings, or there's less likely to be misunderstandings. And you're right, when you get to the back end, that's when the major disputes happen. I mean, I had a situation a couple years ago with kind of a, this was a kind of a daily deal startup business. That had to do with um, you know selling products like kind of like move on kind of thing, and um, our particular client had worked for almost a year for free um, on an oral agreement um, stating that he would get some kind of equity in the company, and um, needless to say, after um, they'd gotten into dispute m- much later, uh, there was disagreement as to whether and how much of that. Um, Uh, equity that particular individual was supposed to get after it'd been falling out. So if they'd done some kind of written agreement on the front end, uh, had a clear defined amount that he was supposed to get due to his uh, contribution, then it would have been a lot less expensive for everyone on the back end. So that's really the purpose that it serves.
1: Okay, great. And then what about setting up systems? I mean, I've had Michael Gerber on the show and he talks about, you know, the e-myth is always about working, um, on your business, not in your business, and setting up systems. And so what do you feel about systems?
0: Um, I couldn't agree more. And if you had Michael Gerber on the show, who's just the master of that, I think I'm just going to refer everyone to that (laughs) show. You can disregard what I have to say about this little topic, and you can just go straight to um, uh, Corinne's website. Because he's the master. He wrote a book called The E-Myth Revisited. Um, which any entrepreneur should read multiple times and he goes into, um, he actually uses McDonald's as kind of the gold standard because they built a business that was highly systematized and could be repeated over and over again and didn't always require the active involvement of the owner. Uh, Michael Gerber's whole point is about working on your business, not in your business. And sometimes I get into trouble on on Twitter because sometimes I'll tweet out comments about how, you know, if you're just kind of working in your pajamas out of your bedroom, uh, you know, serving clients, that's not a real business. And I think there are people who are working out of their, you know, pajamas in their bedroom and they get offended by that. But my point is that what you want to do is build this entity that's larger than yourself that you can step away from. That's the big goal. You can either step away from or you can work on improving the entity as a whole. And the only way you're going to do that is by systemizing your processes and making sure that you're not always having to be there for repeatable transactions. And it's, it gets more difficult when you have um, something that's highly labor-intensive and specific to skills like accounting or counseling or coaching or practicing law those types of things are more difficult to systematize but all the administrative tasks that go into that you can definitely systematize and it starts by writing it down and that can seem like a very daunting thing for entrepreneurs to sit down and have to write down the process that they use for different things but I guarantee you you'll be so glad that you did it and the best way to do it is to just start with a couple of small things and do it over time not all at once don't take off a week from your business because you I'm to do that but you know spend like an hour one morning saying I'm gonna document this process and if you just kind of are cognizant of the different processes that you have to use um, throughout the week whether it's getting bills out or accounting or payroll or whatever there are probably lots of different systems that you use online um, maybe web-based systems or software on your computer or even a way of you know if you have customers who come to you in your business the system that you use for greeting that customer and making sure that they are greeted in a friendly, consistent way, so that every time they come in, they they know what to expect. All the you know, the really good businesses, like the Starbucks and and McDonald's and large businesses, they've caught on to this and they do this. And there's no reason that small businesses can't do it as well. So I highly recommend that.
1: Well, so. When I was first reading his e book and I was like, well, this isn't, you can't apply this to coaching because there's an ebb and a flow, right? And I never know, especially when I'm doing one-on-one clients, I don't know. I may have a plan, but my client may be going through something right at that moment that they want to deal with and forget my plan. It's about them, right? But what I found out, so, and, and the same thing with my radio show, when I do live radio, it's live radio. So whatever happens, I have to have an agile mind to work within it. But I create a system for how I prepare for the show, right? I create a system for even just how a new client signs up. And that sounds like what you're talking about in terms of in these jobs where that there's some things that are out of our control, right? And then you create structural systems that so you're not reinventing the wheel. Like I have an outline that I reuse and then I just change it with guests every week, or I have an agreement that I have a process when I sign a new client here's the process that we go through as they first start working with me instead of, oh, okay, what do I need to tell them about the expectations of this relationship? So that's what it sounds like you're talking about.
0: Absolutely. And there's a great book that's out right now. You've had the author on your show, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Mm -hmm. In that book, they go into the difficulty of um, complex processes. And the first time someone does something, that is complex, um, it takes a lot of mental energy and it's exhausting. And one of the examples used in the book is just even backing your car out of your driveway. It takes a lot of different steps. You're looking down, your foot's on the brake, your foot's on the gas, you're turning the wheel, you're looking in the mirror, you're looking in the side view mirrors. It's a lot of different steps. But after you've done it one or two or 100 times, it becomes by rote. And the point of having systems is so that you're, you can use less and less of that mental energy um, and you can really use that mental energy on other types of things, because you've we've got all these different processes. And even if we don't know it, um, if we haven't done it, even if we do them frequently, a lot of times you're getting back to it, and you're kind of uh, remembering exactly how I do this thing. And and the system, the process won't be consistent for each person who comes in, or each for you, Corinne, every coaching client that comes in. You know, you want to make sure that you do those extra little touches for the new coaching client that's coming in, um, so that they're getting the best service and the best process that you can give Mm -hmm. by having it out. Um, so I think that that's a a great example of how you can have a business that is service-based, that's highly individualized to the particular client, but you can still systematize a, a big part of it. And then the other, The other point of it is the goal with a lot of businesses, not all businesses, but with a lot of businesses, is to repeat it, scale it upwards. And once you've uh, systematized those, you can delegate and you can scale. So if you have an admin assistant or once you get an admin assistant, you can take that system, hand it over to them, and say, look, this is what I want you to do. You don't have to teach them every time. And you can also scale it. So, you know. One day, Corinne, when you have 100 different coaches working for you, um, you know, you can say, this is the process for how we sign up new clients. And um, and that's how you grow a business.
1: Okay. And then isn't also the other reason, because I know a lot of entrepreneurs might be glazing their eyes over like, oh, right? But the other reason to systematize, and you pointed on this, and I want to bring it back up, is because... A lot of reasons people go and become an entrepreneur is there's that entrepreneurial dream, right? I can control my time. I can set my schedule, which actually becomes <laughs> the myth in entrepreneurship, especially when you're in a service industry.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And um, I I actually think that control of your time is the biggest factor in an entrepreneur's success or failure. Because whether you're going to be successful or not has everything to do with how you spend your time. Whether you spend it on the right things or the wrong things, and enough of the right things, and you know, try and minimize the, the wrong things. And there's a lot of different uh methods that can go into determining what the right things are. I would highly recommend a simple example is your customers or clients to come in. You make sure that you know where that business is coming from so that you can repeat the types of activities that leads to more customers, more clients in the door. But really looking um, in a disciplined way w- with your time. And in that book I just mentioned a second ago, um, there's a great suggestion. That it's called a keystone habit. If you can develop a keystone habit that is controllable by you, a lot of people have amazingly just Overturned their lives, and the the author writes in the book about, you know, a woman who started her life, uh, who was overweight and uh, an a- alcoholic and had drug problems, all this di- different stuff, uh, for a long time, and then she decided to quit smoking, and that one change in that keystone habit led to a, a ripple effect to all these other habits that improved that improved her life dramatically and she became a marathon runner and um got a new job and bought a house and all these different things and so if you as an entrepreneur can build those habits into your the way you spend your time it'll have a ripple effect and it will lead to improvements in other areas of your business as well
1: well and and that goes back to like what you're talking about the complex processes right focus um when you're first learning a new skill set it does take a lot of time and energy but once you have that down you can move that energy you can still do that skill set but you can move that energy and focus onto another area to develop to develop that skill set and that's what it sounds like with the keystone habit
0: right absolutely i mean the first time i went into court for the first time um i was totally intimidated mm-hmm. and there's different things you have to do you have to check in with the clerk and you sit in a certain place and different people get called at different times and the calls on you and, and ask you certain questions, you have different answers uh, depending on what the judge is asking you about. So it, it was a complex process and very intimidating the first time I did it. But eventually you get used to it and it's amazing what complex processes can, um, you know, by, by habitizing them, systematizing them, how you can get good at it. Same thing happened, you know, the guy who jumped out of the balloon a little while ago and set the, uh, you know, the world record for Jumping from space, mm-hmm. uh, Bum Gunner, I think was his name. Um, same thing. They practiced and practiced and practiced and made it a system. So that by the time he jumped out of that, um, jumps from space, it was it was by rote. It was a complete system that he had perfected. It wasn't like he was doing it for the first time. You want to do the same thing with your business.
1: And and so it sounds like there's a lot of I use the word. Um, testing or experimenting because you don't really know what's going to work and what's not going to work but maybe you try different things out and wouldn't you say that that's one of the things that you need to do is kind of to figure out where you're spending your time is to take notice like okay I think that okay we'll throw this out there even though I hate the space but Facebook right some people may think oh I get a lot of business from that but it's tested it out and then look at the statistics behind that so that's what it sounds like to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's why I say that you should track all your incoming business. And I have a very simple document. It's just an Excel spreadsheet, and it's the name of the person who calls me. And I actually track all kinds of um, interactions that are related to my business. So anytime someone calls me, maybe just for a piece of advice, or sends me an email, or I even talk to someone on the street about um, you know, or I met at a networking event or something about a legal related issue. Um, I'll track it and I'll put their name in there and maybe their email address and what we talked about. And then another thing you can do is set a follow-up date. So if someone consults you about something, you can follow up with them. But the key point that we're talking about here is where the referral came from. And not right away, but over time, you can look look back at that and see where exactly that business is coming from. And you start to see trends. And, you know, in my particular business, I, I see that I get, you know, referrals from certain people more than once. And I say, oh, you know, I'm going to take that person out to lunch as a little thank you, or I'm going to send them some kind of thank you. And that's really where your your great business is going to come from, mm-hmm. uh, sources of business is going to come from. I kind of get annoyed because, the, you know, when you read um, marketing advice, so much of it is geared at getting new clients in the door. And it is so much more expensive and time-consuming to get new clients is to get more business from your existing clients. And there's a lot of ways you can go about that, but to, to getting getting more business from your existing clients and and getting business from the people who have already contacted you for something is a lot easier. You know, one other uh, great piece of advice is to create a monthly review and it can be very simple, but Um, Once you start to determine what the important activities are that are valuable for your business, like maybe going to certain networking events is really valuable for your business or maybe uh, going to lunches with certain people who refer business to you is really valuable for your business, set a goal for how many times per month you want to do those things. So maybe once a week you want to go to lunch with someone who is going to be helpful as a referral, either for future business or someone who's referred stuff to you in the ba- in, in the past and then you create like a, a monthly document where you say my goal each month is four lunches and then on the first of each month you look back on the month did I achieve that and you write it down and then you that helps you identify whether you're on track mm-hmm. for the activities that are really valuable for your business.
1: Well, and I like that because I'm kind of wary of goals, just from my own personal experience and/or my professional experience, and also Dan Pink's, um, the research that he did in his book Drive. But, uh, but I love process goals, right? So it's not about, well, I'm going to make a certain amount of money, or I'm going to, ha- you know, I'm going to have a- even a certain amount of clients. But it's a process goal where you're setting a goal of how many contacts, you know, or how many lunches can I have? And then because. It's out of your control whether this person refers you or not, but it's within your control to develop a relationship with a connector person.
0: Right, absolutely, and of course, not everything's going to turn into business, and you don't want to go into these relationships with people. Um, this is a whole another discussion, but you don't want to go, you know, like with your hand out, you know, uh, to see what you can get from them. It's it's quite the opposite. Uh, I find that the best results come from. When you go to people, say, "How can I help you? You know, what can I do for you?" and that ends up being a, a big um, impact. And um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Dan Pink's. He is an excellent author, and Drive is an excellent book. So I can't re- recommend that uh, book any more highly. Um, he he really has some great ideas in that book. Uh, one of the key points in that book, I think, is finding your deeper purpose. And this, of course, we're getting onto a tangent here, mm-hmm. but um, that kind of gets back to what we were, what we started with is the purpose in you in you starting your business. And people are going to be a lot more passionate, a lot more productive if they ingrain in their business, the greater purpose of why they're doing that business,
1: okay, John. So one of the things was to do a monthly review and really look at the systems you have in place and um you know, take a look at that, and then you can tweak and, Um, test, maybe test out other areas or see, hey, look, this is an area that I want to spend more time. What are other areas of wasting resources that you see with entrepreneurs?
0: Okay. So I think that it starts with all entrepreneurs recognizing that they have a limited um, time, energy, and money. And anything that distracts from that or puts limits on the amount of time and energy and money that they can put into their business is just it's putting shackles on your business. It is uh, preventing it from succeeding. And so you're constantly in this struggle as you scale up as your business gets bigger to figure out what's the best use of my time. And one of the interesting creative and fun things about being an entrepreneur is it changes over time. The things that you're doing at the beginning, I mean at the beginning you're sweeping up, you're cleaning at the end of the day. Um, you know, all those sorts of things. Uh, I I interviewed um, for my podcast a guy who started an organic ice cream company and he was the first one at the beginning and he did everything. He made the ice cream and he served it during the day and then, you know, now he's got like 50, 60 employees. So at that point, you're doing something completely different. So you have to acknowledge that over time, those things will change dramatically. So I think um, that, that, Acknowledging that you have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of energy and money is the first step. And um, you know, you and I were talking before the show about um, how you devote that time. At some point, you have to decide wh- when you delegate work and, and when it's not worth it, worth your time to be figuring something out. I mean, if you're like, for example, if you have a website and you're spending you know, a bunch of hours trying to tweak something to try to put some information in there. Chances are, whatever line of work you're in, you, your, money, your time can probably be better spent working on some other aspect of your business than tweaking your website. And so you have to start asking yourself how can I delegate this and have put it on someone else's plate? of Resources out there now. There's tons of websites where you can get independent contractors to help you, um, and it's a li- it's a little bit of like taking a step backwards in order to take a couple steps forwards. And this is what hangs people up: is that, well, you know, I gotta, you know, rather than just doing it right now, then I gotta talk to someone, find someone, and I gotta explain to them how to do it, and then I might as well just do it myself. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be true the first time, but if you can develop relationships with people. Then over time, you really do save a dramatic amount of of uh, time, and and you can devote devote that time of your own to the most important uh, things that you should be working on.
1: Well, and and I and I get that point, and um, and I've had to you know management is a whole other skill set when you have to manage employees, right? And again, people go into entrepreneurship for that freedom effect, <laughs> and then you could start to feel shackles when you have employees or when you have a team, and um. And what I have found is that as I'm building my team up is that I find people to do things that are either really tedious that I may not want to do. Like right now I'm working on getting transcripts done for certain shows, not all shows, but we're testing this out. And so I have somebody that can take it and do the transcripts and who's local, right? Because that's part of the business that I want to set up. Um, and she doesn't need to have me looking over her and managing her. She can do work on this project base. And then I have another assistant who I work with who handles a lot of my website stuff that yes, I could do, but it takes me like 15 hours and she can get it done in 10 minutes. Right. For me, that 10, 15 hours I can spend in other areas on my business. And she can spend, you know, get things done for me, or she has a creative mindset that I may not have. She can see colors in a different way or whatever it may be.
0: Right. And, um, you know, a great tool for doing this that I think everyone should do is creating an organizational chart for the type of business that they want to have down the line. Um, And so you put yourself initially in all the boxes, your CEO, your marketing, your accounting, your administrative, your all those different things. But eventually your goal is to back out of all those different things. And it's, it's not an easy decision because as you go along the way, you have to make decisions about, when you step back from those different responsibilities and and put them off into someone else, um, and it's it's different for every business, so you never know. I mean, for me personally, right from the get go, I got a bookkeeper because I knew that that was one of my liabilities. I'm not, I don't, I didn't want to spend a bunch of time working on accounting things and bookkeeping, and I wasn't good at it, and I didn't know how to do it. So that's a good example of when mm-hmm. you doing something. Um, And it's going to be different for everyone else. You know, some people are not good at technical aspects, so they don't want to manage the technical aspects of their website. That's a great example of something that they should put off to someone else.
1: Okay. And for my listeners out there who are like rolling over when, as John mentions, an org chart, because I did too. (laughs) I know how to do them. I had to do them when I got my master's degree. But for shoot me now before I would do it. But isn't that when you would hire go go work with a business coach? Or um, I don't know if that's something you do as an attorney. Is that you know help having someone come in and help you with your systems? If that's not your strong suit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I actually started working with a business coach about seven or eight months ago, and it's been tremendous. It's been really rewarding. And that gets to a larger point. Um, This kind of relates to uh, our discussion of wasting resources, but surrounding yourself with other people is a key um, survival factor for any entrepreneur. Um, surrounding Surrounding yourself with other entrepreneurs who believe in what you're doing and who can help what you're doing, if you can get an office outside of the house in some kind of shared space, that's a a great way to do it. If you have a coach that you can talk to regularly, you can help you with things like putting together an organizational chart, that's a great thing. If you have like a mastermind group of other individuals or similar types of um, lines of work. I started working with a mastermind group recently and it's been really rewarding. Um, But getting that kind of feedback, getting that kind of outside of your bubble so it's not just you working independently because that's really the most um, that's where you see a lot of business failures is where an entrepreneur is trying to be too independent trying to be an island trying to do it all themselves um, not delegating any of the the stuff that they shouldn't be doing so they waste a bunch of their their time and you know you've got 40 50 hours a week you that's 160 to 200 a month that you can spend on your business and if you end up wasting Uh, 150 of them on things that are not revenue generating activities and won't lead to revenue generating, then that's how you end up in trouble. That's how you end up with a business that's going down. So um, it's definitely helpful to get a coach to help you with putting together things like an organizational chart. Although you don't have to have a coach for something like that, but that's definitely something that you could work together with a coach on.
1: Well, and yeah, you don't have to do that. But sometimes I don't get the, you know, like I read books because I have guests coming. Right. And it's not because I don't want to read that stuff. I do, but there's so many things fighting for my time. And so sometimes I find it's, you know, I, I will have my assistant sometimes come in to the office and we will do stuff because not that I can't do it by myself. It's just that when she comes in, that's my way of protecting that space from other things. And I'm really good at getting things done. I just, there's a lot to do. So, you know, finding ways that I think support you as an entrepreneur, and if that means a business coach and you hate org charts but this person can help you set up a system, that might be a great way for you to do it. It may be valuable, it may not. And isn't that part of determining where you're going to put your resources?
0: Absolutely. So what we're talking about is accountability, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people who are absolutely disciplined and they'll do all the right things, all the things that they have to do um, at the right times. But I think that everyone, it's just human nature, everyone puts off certain things that they know they have to do. And when you're an entrepreneur, you have a lot of things to do. And there's always something that you can do that you enjoy more than something else. Um, Maybe you don't like doing the books, so you don't do the books. Maybe you don't like going out and meeting new clients at some networking event, so you don't do that. Maybe you don't like uh, writing up reports that you need to send to your clients, so you don't do that. Um, having that outside accountability of an outside coach who will keep you accountable is huge. Um, and so, you know, things like an org chart just never get done because they, uh, because people put them off, even though they know that they're valuable to their business. So, but if you bring in a coach and you're paying each week and they're keeping you accountable from the outside. It makes it that definitely makes a huge difference.
1: And the other thing I think of too, is that it's about building a team, right? And, I mean, I fall back, my listeners know I fall back a lot about sports because I was a competitive swimmer and also a swim coach, that nobody becomes successful by themselves. And people have a team. And so you're not, you're not weak or not disciplined enough. It's just that, you know, maybe you need that team. I know a lot about fitness, I can get people in really good shape. But there's times that I just I get tired of that leadership energy. So I'd like to go to a class where I am led instead of being the one that has to be like, okay, Corinne, now you need to go. You've spent all this leadership energy on these people, and now you need to go and push yourself harder, right? right? Sometimes I just want to let my mind go blank and just go through the workout and then walk away and be done with that instead of, okay, now I have to come up with this great workout for myself.
0: Right. I think that the problem with so many entrepreneurs do is try and fight Human nature and human nature is for um, humans to organize in smaller groups for a lot of reasons. And I'm not going to profess to be any expert in, in why they do that, but they just do. And so you, when you go off and you become an entrepreneur, all of a sudden you're all by yourself and it's just you trying to build this business. But there, the great news is that there are all these resources available now. I mean, go on LinkedIn, go on Facebook. Uh, hire a coach. Join a mastermind group. Go to conferences, like you know, you and I did recently. Makes mm-hmm. such a huge difference because then all of a sudden you realize it's not just you going it alone. You're actually embracing human nature, which is to get together in groups and work together collaboratively on things. Um, and 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 I think that the more that entrepreneurs embrace those types of notions, the more likely they're going to be successful.
1: Well, yeah. And even reading a book, right? You can read a book and get a nugget or listen to the show or your show and get a, get information. And then sometimes it's even just a matter of having somebody to talk to about it, whether it's a friend or a colleague or somebody else you know in a different business and to say, okay, so they were talking about systems, but I don't really quite understand how that could work in my business. Right, but then you can talk about it, and then you can work through that issue on your own. So there's so many different things that we can do, and especially on those moments when you feel like oh, I can't figure this out, there's a lot of resources out there, and to know that you don't have to um, do it yourself. I mean, we can be. There's a lot of resources out there for us to to grab onto.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I was listening recently to your interview of Pam Slim, and you guys were talking about this. The the, the problem often is that when you start a business is that doesn't necessarily mean that your family is going to be completely bought into the idea and I see that often with my clients where um, it's not just them struggling with trying to get a business off the ground but they're also struggling with a family that's having difficulty they know they haven't bought into the idea entirely maybe they don't think the business is gonna work or maybe they are upset because you know the the money's not as regular it's not coming in as consistently and so having someone else out there who you can go talk to, um, work through these ideas, different technical aspects, uh, it's just tremendous. I mean, just in my own personal experience with the Mastermind Group, I joined with um, about four or five other individuals. We all bring different skills to the table. We'll all get together and talk about different um, stumbling blocks, different barriers that we have in our business. And um, that really it can lead to great breakthroughs. So you know, whether you're using a coach or um, a, a mastermind group, or some kind of networking group that you get together with, or something online. There's a lot of different, um, you know, membership sites that you can belong to. I mean, I was at an event last night that was um, kind of environmental entrepreneurs, and um, this woman told me about this uh, particular website that was like a community of uh, entrepreneurs who are trying to build like purposeful businesses that had kind of an eco-consciousness, I, I believe, and uh, it was this huge, thriving community. And there's lots of examples of that kind of thing out there, whether it's on Facebook or LinkedIn or a separate website. But search it out because that will make a big difference in your success or, or lack of success is having that kind of shared camaraderie and, and being able to turn to others to help you succeed in your endeavor.
1: And then one other area I want to talk about with wasting resources is money. What do you have to share with the listeners about mistakes you've seen with money and wasted resources?
0: Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, um, it's very difficult because oftentimes I come into the situation where someone has um, been a little reckless with money. They've loaned out money uh, or they've let a um, client uh, go too far with not paying a bill um, or they've invested in an area of their business that it turned out to be a bad investment or not. Uh, and for every entrepreneur, it's going to be a balance between that kind of go-getting um, aggressiveness that is that makes them such a great person, makes them makes them want to be an entrepreneur, and also the kind of more conservative slow down, think things through, decide if this is a good investment. And everyone falls in different points in the spectrum um, with those. Uh, Types of decisions. Um, but I would say that sometimes I think you have to acknowledge your weaknesses. And I've had entrepreneurs and clients who are kind of spendthrifts. And, you know, it's it helps them and it hurts them because they'll just run out and they'll hire new staff or they'll um, build some new area of their shop or they'll go into some new line of work. Um, and without having done a lot of research in it, sometimes it pays off and some, sometimes it doesn't. But um, having that outside sounding board or coach that you can talk to can help you decide whether it's a good decision or not. Um, or, or also within your company, maybe you have some kind of process for deciding if you're going to invest resources into something. And it can be small things too when it comes to money oftentimes people lose track of what they're investing their money in. So, you know, go back and do an audit of your monthly businesses, uh, monthly uh, spending and determine if you've got subscriptions that you don't need, um, overhead, certain parts of overhead that you don't need, um, even employees. I mean, y- oftentimes you get bigger and you've got that employee who's been there for a while and really isn't pulling their weight and not really contributing anything to the business. And th- the fact is you're in business to make money and to support your family, And if there's someone there who's keeping you back, you have to make really tough decisions about whether you want to keep that person there, whether it's better for you and for that person that you kind of go your separate ways. Um, And that definitely has to do with money because you're spending a lot of money to have someone there who's not helping your business get where you want it to go. Okay.
1: Yeah, taking a look at the resources where you spend that money is really important because that can be a limiting factor at some point.
0: You mean la- having lack of money or not spent
1: Or when you, like maybe you have all these monthly subscriptions, right? And subscriptions can range in really little to huge amounts of money, but is, and you're no longer using that, it's important to look at that and to say, where do I want to spend that money? Is Am I getting value back from here or are there other areas that I can put my money towards?
0: Right. So there are a couple of different ways of looking at it. There's the ongoing costs, mm-hmm. like subscription, like an employee, like a membership, something like that. And then there's investments that you put into your business and whether they're going to pay off or not. And I will say, I I don't want to discourage people from exploring new lines of business or branching out into something else. Um, But one of the problems I do see frequently is people get a little bit of a success in one area. And rather than repeating that formula, they maybe get a little bored with it or for whatever reason, they just think, because I've been successful in this, I'm going to try this other thing. And I'll give you an example. Like there's this great Puerto Rican restaurant that's not too far from my work that has been really successful. And, and um, it's got this great immersive experience. You come inside, there's the music playing, and they have just beautiful artwork on the walls. It's it's the whole deal. You feel like you're in Puerto Rico. And um, they've been wildly successful because of that. And they have like three lo- three locations within a couple blocks of one another. And then not too long ago, they started like a craft shop and like kind of a gifts and craft shop. And I don't, I, I'm not judging it because I don't know how successful or unsuccessful it's been. But in my opinion, that's a mistake. You've got a wildly successful Puerto Rican restaurant. That's what you do really well. And you should continue to repeat that formula. From a business perspective, that's the wise thing to do. Starting a gifts slash craft shop is probably, I, I'm going to guess, it's probably not going to work out because that's not what was driving your success in the first place. So you have to really ask yourself tough decisions before you decide to go off into a new and unrelated area, uh, or even a related area, but just slightly different. Decision. Decide if that's really what you're best at and what you should continue working on.
1: Oh, that's great advice. So as we wrap up here, John, what are two takeaways that um, for to help listeners who are solo entrepreneurs?
0: Okay, so this relates, I think, to some of the points that we were talking about. But number one... Is don't go it alone. Don't be that person who thinks that you're an island and you can do it all yourself and you don't need any help. Really, go out there and get join communities of other entrepreneurs, whether they're in your field or other other fields. You know, join a mastermind group, get a coach, um, get office space, shared office space with others who are doing kind of what you do. Um, get advice from others. Constantly seek out advice from others. For me personally, reading books has been a, a major impact. You know, just identifying a bunch of books or getting advice from others on certain types of, of, of books that will help you to be successful in your particular line of work. That's one big tip I have. And then the other one is, and we talked about this, is working into your routine the right habits and the right discipline. And Krin, I know I've, I've heard you talk about it in terms of your um, swimming is really the the why swimming is such a great metaphor is because it has to do with belief and discipline believing you can do it and having the discipline to follow through to do it and it's it's a constantly it's a constant process of recalibrating exactly what is what are the right habits and what's the right discipline what's the right routine what's the right types of activities you should be engaging in but you want to be asking yourself, am I engaging in the right activities? Am I engaging in the right habits? Is there a keystone habit that I can develop that will help all of my habits to improve? And there's a book by Jim Collins, Good to Great, which is an excellent book. I'd recommend it where he writes about, um, he uses this metaphor of a bus for a business. And he says, you want to get the right people on the bus, then put them in the right seats on the bus, and then start driving the bus in the right direction. Well, as an entrepreneur, at least from the beginning, you are that entire bus. And you want to have the right discipline to make sure that your bus is going in the right direction to kind of steal his, his metaphor. So, um, you know, those are the two big tips that I'd give for people. And also have fun with it. Make sure that what you're doing is something that you enjoy, that you're passionate about, and something that you can do for the long term. So that, you know, you know otherwise, if you don't have fun with it, then it's really not going to last very long. And you're probably going to end up not falling through on it, and and it it might not end up being successful because it isn't something that you want to do.
1: All right. Well, John, thank you so much. It's been really um, informative talking with you today. So I really appreciate your time.
0: Great. My pleasure.
1: Thanks for joining us at How She Really Does It. Each week, I try to bring inspiration, empowerment, and entertainment for you. Each show has a takeaway, something you can implement to take those steps forward in your own journey. I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me at my website at www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter to get insider information, as well as each podcast delivered directly into your inbox. Have a great day, and I'm smiling big for you.
0: Early morning, fog is lifting. She's in a rowboat on a lake. She is dreaming. Drifting Never been so wild